Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're For Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the gorgeous, graceful Gryffindor to my right is Ellen. Aw, my helpful Huggable Hufflepuff host listened. I'm a Care Bear now. Care Bear Stare! Care Bear Scare. Rawr. Anyway, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the final parts of the differences between the UK and the US versions of the book and our favorite moments from our episodes covering Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. During episode 193, Job Security, our Potter pondering was, Do you think Katie's pretty? But also, what were some of your favorite moments from our episodes covering Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix? And your favorite moments of the story in general? Hi, Ellen, Katie, and Carly. This is Megan calling in with my Potter pondering. It's very difficult to choose a favorite moment from book five, but it might be fucking Bob, the unspeakable. God, that one made me laugh so hard. There were so many moments where I was just laughing out loud. You guys had me smiling, even if I was previously in a bad mood. So thank you for another wonderful book movie compare and contrast with book five. I also wanted to tell Katie... Hey guys, it's Jackson here with my Potter Pondering. Do I think Katie's pretty? Hmm, no, no, I don't think she's pretty. I think Katie is gorgeous. I think Katie is foxy. <laughs> no, I just think that Katie is all around dead set gorgeous, inside and out. She's just beautiful. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my final Potter pondering for Order of the Phoenix. Oh my gosh. So what do I love about you guys here? Let me just um, shower you with compliments. You guys are just so funny. I'm laughing out loud every single episode I listen to. I look forward to listening to you guys every single week. Honestly, it's one of the highlights of my weeks. I absolutely love all the nicknames that you guys come up with, specifically Nazi von douchebags. Like, I find myself needing to stop myself from accidentally saying it to someone who wouldn't understand. You guys are so funny and all of your singing bits and even like the tangents you go on that have nothing to do with Harry Potter. I enjoy it so much. And also I'm so glad that I finally got a Wahoo Katie, I'm not going to do it justice, but I got a trivia question right, and it only took me until almost the end of the fifth book, so yay me. To get serious, um, I really thought that you guys suck when... <laughs> I'm just kidding, did I trick you? I don't know. But also I have to say that you're all very pretty, and I am really looking forward to going into Half-Blood Prince with you because it is my 
favorite book, but my least favorite movie. So this is going to be very, very interesting. Bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, how does the portrait generally start announcements that the wizarding minister is on his way? Before making the announcements, the frog-like man in the portrait begins with a cough. Congratulations goes to Kalista Whitewolf. Yay! Mike Riley was actually right there with the answer too. He technically posted it on Facebook before Kalista did, even though Kalista had already posted it on Podbean. But the first time he posted, he shared the announcement, not how he started the announcement. And then he corrected it. But Kalista had already then posted on Facebook the correct answer that she had previously posted on Podbean. So Kalista gets the win. Mike Riley gets an honorable mention. And maybe someday Podbean will have this issue fixed. Then maybe it won't be so confusing to see who's going to win because... It could be anybody. Is it going to be Kalista? Is it going to be Mike? Are we going to get Megan back? Maybe Jackson's going to get in there? Somebody new? Who? You never know. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 1, The Other Minister, and the film scene that doesn't really correspond at all. Chapter 1, The Other Minister, Part 1. It's nearing midnight, and the Prime Minister is still in his office absent-mindedly reading a long memo as he waits for the president of a far-off country to call him. Between wondering if the man would call and trying to forget about how long and difficult that week had been, there isn't much space left for anything else in his brain. The more he tries to focus on the memo, the more he just sees his political opponent's face gloating at him. Since he had been on the news earlier that day, explaining why all the terrible things that had been happening that week were the government's fault. It's upsetting because these accusations are neither fair nor true. How was the government supposed to stop a bridge from collapsing? As it was only 10 years old, the best experts don't even know why it snapped in two and sent dozens of cars into the watery depths of the river. How can anyone suggest that a lack of policemen had resulted in the two nasty and well-publicized murders, or that they should have foreseen the freak hurricane in the West Country that had caused much damage to people and property? It also isn't his fault that one of his junior ministers, Herbert Chorley, had chosen this week to act so oddly that he needed some time off to go be with his family. The minister pictures his opponent barely concealing a grin as he concludes that a grim mood has gripped the country. This is accurate as people do seem more miserable than usual, and even the weather has been dismally chilly and misty, though it's the middle of July. He turns to the second page of the memo and just gives up reading it, instead stretching and looking around the handsome office with a marble fireplace and long sash windows that are firmly closed against the chill. He gets up and moves over to the window, looking out at the mist, when he hears a soft coughing sound behind him. It's a sound he has heard before, and he turns very slowly to face the empty room, attempting to say hello in a voice that sounds much braver than he actually feels, hoping no one will answer him. 
The frog-like man in a long silver wig depicted in a small, dirty oil painting in the corner speaks up, passing along a message from Fudge to the Prime Minister of Muggles, saying it's urgent they meet and to kindly respond. The minister attempts to dodge the meeting, vaguely mentioning it's not a good time since he's waiting for a call from the president, but the portrait cuts him off to let him know they can arrange for the president to forget to call and to telephone the next night instead. The minister tries to protest, but gives up and agrees to see Fudge. He hurries back to his desk, adjusts his tie, and is barely back in his seat when the fireplace bursts into green flames and a portly man appears spinning within them before climbing out. He brushes the ash from his pinstriped cloak and holds a lime green bowler hat in his hand as he greets the prime minister, saying it's good to see him again. The prime minister cannot return this comment as the only time he ever sees Fudge is on rare, downright alarming occasions where he shows up to report some bad news. This visit, the man has shown up looking thinner, balder, and grayer than before with a crumpled look on his face, which the minister knows never bodes well in politicians. He briefly shakes Fudge's hand and asks how he can help him. And when Fudge brings up the difficult week, the minister asks if he's had a bad one too. Fudge explains that they've been having the same bad week with the Brockdale Bridge, the Bones and Vance murders, and the ruckus in the West Country. The minister is shocked to realize that some of Fudge's people were involved in those things, and Fudge is surprised in return that the minister hasn't realized what's going on. This is one of the things that makes him dislike Fudge's visits so much, as he always ends up being made to feel like an ignorant schoolboy. He remembers meeting him on his very first day as prime minister. He was standing alone in his office, savoring the triumph of his win when he heard that cough from behind him and turned to find that ugly portrait talking to him, announcing the arrival of the Minister of Magic. His initial thought was that he was going mad after the long strain of the campaign, which was only enhanced when a self-proclaimed wizard bounded out of the fireplace to inform him that there are witches and wizards living in secret among them, but he doesn't really have to worry about it since the Ministry of Magic takes responsibility for them, and odds are he'll never even have to see him again. Fudge told the minister that he took it better than his predecessor, who thought he was a hoax planned by the opposition and tried to throw him out the window. The prime minister managed to find his voice and confirm that Fudge was not, in fact, a hoax, and Fudge demonstrates his magic by turning the minister's teacup into a gerbil. He breathlessly asks why no one told him, and Fudge explained that the Minister of Magic only reveals himself or herself to the Muggle Prime Minister of the day in order to maintain secrecy. When he asked why a former minister didn't warn him, Fudge laughed and asked him if he was ever going to tell anyone. He then threw a powder into the fireplace, stepped into the green flames, and vanished leaving the Prime Minister behind to realize no one in the world would ever believe what he just witnessed. Eventually, the shock wore off. He tried to convince himself that Fudge had been a hallucination, gave the gerbil to his niece, and attempted to have the ugly painting removed. However, several carpenters, a couple of builders, an art historian, and even the Chancellor of Exchequer 
are unable to remove it from the wall, and the minister must resign himself to ignore it, though he does occasionally notice through the corner of his eye that its occupant yawns, scratches his nose, and sometimes even walks out of the painting. The minister then remembers three years prior, on a similar night, he had been alone in his office when the painting again announced the arrival of Fudge. The minister of magic burst out of the fireplace, dripping wet, ranting about a prison, a man named Sirius Black, something that sounded like Hogwarts and a boy called Harry Potter. He then said he just came from Azkaban in the middle of the North Sea and that the Dementors are in an uproar since they've never had a breakout before. But he had to come to him since Black is a known muggle killer and may be planning to rejoin you-know-who. He then launches into an explanation of who you-know-who is while requesting he sit down and offering him some whiskey, which he conjured from nowhere. He talked for an hour, refusing to say a certain name aloud but writing it down, and mentioned that Dumbledore thinks he who must not be named is still alive. Fudge didn't think he was dangerous without supporters, making it black they had to worry about, so he asked him to put out a warning on the Muggle News. He then said he hoped they wouldn't see each other again and left in the fireplace. However, it was less than a year later that a harassed-looking Fudge stepped out of his fireplace again, this time talking about something called Quidditch, a World Cup, and some kind of issue that muggles were involved in, but that he was not to worry as he's sure it was an isolated situation and the muggle liaison office was dealing with memory modifications. Before leaving, he also mentioned that they were importing three dragons and a sphinx for the Triwizard Tournament, and the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures said it is in the rule book that they have to notify the muggle prime minister if they're bringing dangerous creatures into the country. The Prime Minister spluttered about the existence of dragons, which Fudge confirmed, again mentioning the Sphinx, before leaving. Less than two years after that meeting, Fudge showed up again to inform him of a mass breakout from Azkaban, insisting that it was nothing to worry about since they'd have them rounded up in no time, then disappear again through the green flames. No matter what his opposition might be saying, the Prime Minister is not a foolish man and knows without a doubt that Fudge's visits have been becoming more frequent and he has been more flustered each time with more and more graver news. He doesn't know exactly why the other minister, as he likes to think of him, is there, but he is sure that it's going to be about the worst thing that has happened in the course of this extremely awful week. The movie starts on the Warner Brothers logo overlaying a dark and stormy sky. As the camera zooms in, a darker version of the familiar Harry Potter theme begins to play, then crescendos and holds a note as Bellatrix Lestrange's voice repeats her taunt about killing Sirius Black. Trailing off into laughter as the camera zooms through the logo, showing an eye in the sky before transitioning and showing it is a close-up of Harry's eye. He is being continuously photographed alongside Dumbledore, who reaches behind his back and puts a hand on his shoulder and guides him away from the photographers as their cameras continue to flash. There is no sound other than the somber music as reporters call questions at him, and the scene transitions back to the stormy sky, now zooming in on the title screen, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. The camera glides right through the letters, once more showing the stormy sky.
Yeah. So we got the intro to the movie. <laughs> What's funny to me is the movie section that actually covers the full chapter is only about two minutes and 50 seconds. And a solid half of that is literally just the intro. And technically, what happens at the start of the book chapter can be tied to what happens in this two minute and 50 second movie section. However, it doesn't enough that I felt the need to include it in the first part of this chapter. And it would have been too long of an episode if I hadn't split it. So I was just like, well, we can talk about something from the movie scene. How about we talk about the intro and then we'll talk about the first half of the chapter and then we'll talk about what does happen next week. I will say that the movie scene does give us at least, hey, this is what happened in Order of the Phoenix reminder. So you don't forget because it's yeah. been two years. That was nice. Not for us, but when the movie first came out. Yeah. Know, I mean, not that I didn't rewatch the movie before going to the theaters, but that's true. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so the book, not the chapter, the book starts as it has only started one other time in the muggle world. And we are in the muggle prime minister's office as he's attempting to read this super long memo and kind of failing miserably because all he can think about is how horrible that week had been going. And he's only still there this late because he's waiting for some mysterious president of a far off country to call him. So they describe the president as a wretched man, but I'm very curious, are they talking about Bill Clinton? Because he would have been president at this point. I know that it has a lot of American readers I know there's other countries with presidents, but in my brain, thinking about a wretched man who's going to call you, personally, I like Bill Clinton, but some people don't. So, yeah, he had his issues. And then I, being somewhat of a Ravenclaw, I looked up who the prime minister would be at this point, and since this is 1995, it would be John Major, who was a pretty good prime minister from my understanding. Yeah, I kind of wonder if there is any basis in reality in her mind as she writes this, but she just wrote it as vague as possible to not call people out. Or if it was just kind of a prime minister, muggle prime minister, president, far off country, let's just keep it at that. Or if in her head it was other specific people. She would have known that John Major was prime minister. <laughs> So, but she maybe, yeah, didn't want to call him out. And also probably didn't want calls from his press people being yeah. like, excuse me, you didn't ask if we could use him in the book. It definitely makes it more timeless as well. Because even though we know the dates, we don't have to know the dates. It could take place at any point. That's true. So, like I said, the muggle prime minister is very distracted because his brain is bouncing back and forth between wondering if this wretched man is going to call and trying to forget how long and difficult this week has been. So he keeps trying to read this memo and all he can do is picture his political opponent's face basically gloating at him because he was on the news earlier that day taking this as an opportunity to just tear the prime minister down a couple of notches and just blaming all of the terrible things on the government in general. And this is pretty upsetting to the prime minister because 
it's not really fair to blame things like that on the government. You know, sometimes how they handle the situation, I think, is very important. I think absolutely you can blame the government for how they respond to a situation, but you can't always blame them for the situation happening in the first place, depending on what it is. That's true. I mean, they can't control if there's a hurricane, even though it wasn't a hurricane. Not a hurricane? Yeah, at this point, it's things like a bridge that was only 10 years old collapsed, and it sent dozens of cars into the river. We do actually see something similar happen in the movie, but it's going to fall in next week, so we'll get to that then. Ooh, maybe we shouldn't use the words fall in. Maybe I did that on purpose. Oh, oh. I see, I see. But basically, they had experts look at this bridge and be like, I have no idea why it snapped in half. Magic. Well, yeah, but they don't know that. They have no idea. The minister is also upset because people have been suggesting that a lack of policemen was the cause of the two nasty and well-publicized murders. And to a certain extent, I can see how that's the case if you don't have enough police officers to handle situations it can definitely cause problems but again how are you supposed to predict that these publicized murders are going to happen that's fair it's all how you respond to it and i'm hoping that they're responding to it well at least well judging by the other opponent saying things it doesn't sound like he's necessarily responding in the appropriate way or what people would think is appropriate this book starts off very political it does and i think the opponent was more just piggybacking on an opportunity to make himself look good, is the impression that they give. He's also wondering how they were supposed to foresee a freak hurricane, which we know is not actually a hurricane, but it happened in West Country, and it caused a lot of damage to people and property. And again, yeah, in this point, the government needs to step in and help, but they can't stop a hurricane. What they think is a hurricane. Yeah. And they wouldn't really be able to have stopped the Giants either had they known that's what it was. Non-magic. Can you imagine, like, getting sent into a hurricane to, like, help people and all of a sudden you see Giants? That would be terrifying. Right? Yikes. Again, we do talk a little bit more about that in detail next week, so we will then. But the last thing that he's really kind of stressing about is the fact that one of his junior ministers, Herbert Chorley, had chosen this week to start acting really bizarre. And he ended up having to take some time off to go spend it with his family. So that's just like another mar on this bad week. I don't think that one's probably as publicized as everything else, but it's there in his mind and he's stressing. That's a lot of things to be worried about. Like, I know that this is told from his point of view, so you can almost read the stress coming through. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then it just mentions that he can see, he's like picturing in his head the way his opponent looked on TV for this because he gets to the conclusion and says, while barely concealing a grin, this guy sounds pretty sleazy, he concludes that a grim mood has gripped the country. And on one hand... The minister can't argue with that because, in general, people seem more miserable than typically. And the weather has even taken on a chilly and very misty atmosphere, even though it's the middle of July when it's normally really freaking hot. Like, the previous book started off in the middle of 
the summer as well, but it was like one of the hottest summers they'd ever had. And there was the ban on hose pipes. So all of the grass was dry. And now, literally a year later, it's chilly and misty and everyone's like, what the fuck? But like I said, he's really struggling to get through this memo, turns to the second page, sees how much further it goes and just kind of gives up. He's like, whatever. And he just stretches and looks around his office, which is apparently pretty large. There's a marble fireplace, windows that have sashes. They're closed because it's cold outside, even though it's July. And he gets up and moves over them to look out at the Dementor Mist, even though we don't know that that's what that is at this point. We do, but we don't. Everybody's just walking around in this Dementor aphrodisiac. Dementor jizz. Yuck. But it could be a turn on for them. You never know. Anyway, he's looking out the window and he hears this soft coughing sound behind him. Which was our trivia question. Yep. He's actually heard this sound before. And it makes him extremely nervous. He knows exactly what it is, but he's hoping that it's not what it is. And he turns around to face what is an empty room. So why is there someone coughing, you say? A portrait. There's a portrait in the corner. And he says hello, trying to pretend like he's actually sounding brave, even though he's not feeling very brave. And he does kind of hope that nobody will answer him. Though, of course, this frog-like man in a silver wig in this portrait in the corner, it's just a small, dirty portrait, so people don't pay too close attention to it. But this frog-like man says, Prime Minister of the Muggles, it's urgent we meet, kindly respond, sincerely, fudge. And this is the first introduction of the magical world in this book but it's still focusing on the muggle minister's thoughts. So he tries to avoid having this meeting like, eh, it's not a good time. I'm waiting on a call from the president. We can fix that. It's exactly what the portrait says. They say that they can arrange for the president to forget to call and telephone the following night instead. I mean, Billy Boy's pretty busy with the Olympics and stuff. Yeah, that's probably what that is. Again, the muggle minister tries to protest, but eventually just gives up and agrees to see Fudge. He hurries back to his desk, adjusting his tie, trying to look important, I'm sure, and barely gets in his seat when the fireplace bursts into green flames. And you can see a portly man spinning inside it like a top before he climbs out and starts brushing ash off of his pinstriped cloak while holding his green bowler hat, his lime green bowler hat that we never once got to see in the movies. It's green. In the first one, when they, second one? The second one, when they see him, when Harry and Ron see him, he has it. But it is a dark... It's not lime green. It's not lime. It's not lime green. Every single time they mention the Minister of Magic, or for magic, magic, they mention his lime green bowler hat. And that's just not a thing in the movies. So was Fudge a Slytherin? I mean, they're not lime green. No. He's not ambitious enough, I don't think. Hmm. I wonder what house he would be in. Not Hufflepuff. He might have been Slytherin. I mean, it's ambition and cunning, and he does a lot of that in Five. The cunning and being a turd. I guess you could say he was ambitious to hold on to his power. Yeah, I see that a lot. But anyway, he greets the muggle minister 
and says it's good to see him again, which the muggle minister is just like, yeah, I can't say that back to you because the only time I ever see you is downright alarming and you come with bad news. I mean, yeah, it's like when you're a teacher, you're supposed to give some good news too. come on, man. Sandwich this shit. Yeah, he did not do that. No, he didn't. On top of that, Fudge looks thinner, balder, grayer, and has a crumpled look on his face. And having worked with a lot of politicians, the muggle minister's like, that's not good. It just means it's the end of his term. Have you ever seen a president compared to the first of their term versus the last of their term? Oh, my God. There's always so much more gray. Yeah, like Obama went nice salty there. Yeah. And then Michelle somehow got younger. (laughs) She's a witch. Accurate. In a good way. Yes. But he does extend a handshake to him. He can't compliment him, but he can give him a handshake and wants to know how he can help. And Fudge mentions the difficult week they've been having. And the muggle minister's like, oh, you've been having a bad week too? I've been having the same week you've been having, my guy. Right? Like, how are you not making this connection? He's like, it's the same bad week with the Brockdale Bridge, the Bones and Vance murders, and the ruckus in the West Country. Muggle minister is like, what? Your people were involved in that shit? And Fudge is kind of like, how are you not realizing this? I think Fudge is being a little unfair to the muggle prime minister who just found out that there's magic. Like, no, I wouldn't put those things together. He didn't just find out. It's been a couple. But he hasn't lived his whole life in it. So I wouldn't put two and two together if I had pretty much just found out that there was magic. That's fair. He probably does spend most of his time trying to pretend like these visits have never happened. Especially since he really dislikes these visits, they always make him feel like he's some sort of ignorant schoolboy. So there's probably a lot of like blocking it from his memory and therefore his first thought's not going to be fucking magic. That wasn't a hurricane, they were giants. And then he's super shocked. He's like, there are giants? Yes, sir, there are giants. We'll get to that next week. That's when it specifically gets brought up. But my question is, why did they wait so long? Why did they not, the first thing that happened, why, I understand Fudge was probably trying to handle it, send this dude a note and be like, my bad, we're handling it. I know that it's looking bad on you, but give us some time and maybe we can fix it. Yeah, I think considering everything that's going on and been going on, which we learned more about in the second half of this chapter, I think it was just on his to-do list, but amongst the last of it, which is unfortunate for the muggle prime minister, but at least he's there now. I guess. But did he just get voted out? Pretty much. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I would have hurried my butt over there to help. Neither one is thinking of the other. No, absolutely a, not. And that's always a problem. And if Fudge is, in fact, a Slytherin. He's definitely not thinking about them. He is probably trying to figure out what he can do to fix this for himself. But... What's really interesting about the rest of this chapter half that we're going through right now is then it kind of delves into him remembering the very first time he did meet Fudge, which was his first day as prime minister. So this made me question, how long has Fudge been the minister for magic? Yeah, I don't really know how that works because it implies that he was definitely the minister for magic well before this dude became the muggle prime minister. At least a little bit before. According to Wikipedia, John Major got elected into office in 1992. 
So I don't know how long PM's terms are, but there's a 1992 election and then there's a 97 election, which would be what he's coming up on, which is why he's nervous because Tony Blair's about to kick his butt. Yeah. So I was just curious. I mean, if they do four-year terms, are their elections staggered from the muggle ones? I want to know more about wizarding politics, please. (laughs) Yeah, because it implies that there isn't a specific term. Like, he was forced out early for the magical ministry. And then this makes me think, does the queen know about the wizarding world? You know, I'm not entirely convinced that the queen wasn't part of the wizarding world. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Very interesting. I mean, she started very young and stayed alive for so long. Yeah. So she did good. Yeah. Into 98, 99. So was she a pure blood or was she muggle born? Girl, she a pure blood. They inbreeding all over the place. <laughs> interesting thoughts. Tough to say because we don't really get those kind of details in here. It's very vague. But then the rest of this half of the chapter, like I said, just focuses on him remembering his previous visits with Fudge, starting with the first one. It's his day one winning prime minister spot. And he's just standing in his office, having a little self-celebratory moment. And he hears that cough from behind him in an empty office is just like, what the fuck am I imagining things? This has just got to be the stress from the long campaign and everything when he turns around sees this ugly dirty portrait that starts talking to him announcing the arrival of the minister of magic and now he's like i'm definitely going insane this is not this is not real what is happening right now but this is followed by a self-proclaimed wizard just bouncing right out of the fireplace and talking about witches and wizards living among them in secret, but how he doesn't have to worry about it. The Ministry of Magic takes care of all of that, and he's probably never going to have to see him again anyway. He just has to come in and introduce himself. Fudge is so confident when he initially comes in to talk to the muggle prime minister for the first time. He's just like, hi, here's all this information about magic. Probably won't see you again. Deuces. Pretty much. That like totally sums that up. But he didn't give him any pertinent information, which I know, like, you don't want to tell all of. It's like two countries meeting. You don't want to give your secrets. Secrets. I feel like this dude needed some of that, though. There's a lot of stuff going on in the country. It would have been 1992. So a lot of stuff had already happened. He could at least have given him the rundown. Like, so by the way. Yeah. Like, here's some history for you. Also, Merlin was real. Um, right just so you can have that in your back pocket like help the dude out he's a muggle he doesn't have any idea this is brand new information yeah not even a little bit but he apparently takes it better than his predecessor did who tried to throw fudge out the window well that's margaret thatcher so that's hilarious you know what i could see that i could see it too the iron lady iron oh yeah yeah But she thought the whole thing was a hoax planned by the opposition. So, And mind you, this would have been her first day in office, too, because they imply that the Minister of Magic or Minister for Magic shows up on their first day to be like, hey, magic is a thing. You probably won't have to deal with us. But just got to know. I guess maybe it wouldn't necessarily have to be on her first day. It might have been on Fudge's first day. Could have been. Yeah, maybe. But still, he's been Minister for Magic for a while. Yeah, And 
the muggle minister kind of latches on to this comment about it being a hoax. So you're not? And Fudge decides to just show him a little bit of magic to prove that it's not. And he turns his teacup into a gerbil. Bet. So now the muggle minister's like, why has nobody told me about this before? And Fudge is just like, no, I'm telling you about it now. The minister of magic only reveals him or herself to the muggle prime minister of the day in order to maintain secrecy. That's nice that he said him or herself. So that implies that there have been female ministers of magic. I would believe that. So now the muggle minister wants to know why the former minister or a former minister doesn't have to be the specific previous one, but why one didn't warn him. And Fudge just literally laughs at him and says, my dear man, are you going to tell anyone? But also, would they not obliviate them afterwards? I feel like that would be useful. You know what? That's entirely possible, too. Just to maintain. Yeah. But like you said, this is like a deuces situation. He's like, are you going to tell anybody? And then just throws powder into the fireplace to make those green flames come back and steps into him and gone. Yep. And then the Muggle minister's like, oh, I definitely am never going to tell anybody this ever because nobody would fucking believe me. He shook. Absolutely. And it does eventually wear off, mostly. I think it's also partially denial. Like, he tries to convince himself that he hallucinated the entire thing. Gave the gerbil to his niece. Well, that's nice. Because he did not bother to turn it back into a teacup before leaving. But I do have to wonder, since it's actually a teacup and not really a gerbil, it's just been transfigured. How long did that gerbil live? Where do vanished objects go? Into nothing, which is to say everything. So much stuff. Like if you make a kitten, what happens? What If it just like turns back into the object, where does the kitten go? Into nothing, which is to say everything? But is it a real kitten is my question. It can move and meow. We should do a Potterheads of History about transfiguration. I'm down for yeah. that. If you'd like to record that episode with us, become a patron and you can record that all day, every day. Or if you just want to be able to hear that episode. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, he gives the gerbil to his niece and he tries to have the painting removed, but it has definitely been permanently stuck to that wall because several carpenters, a couple of builders, an art historian, and the chancellor of Exchequer are unable to get it off the wall, which is apparently a royal or national treasury. That's intriguing why they would have him come in to look at that or her. Him or her. I wonder if he showed up for a meeting when they had one of the other people trying to remove it there and he had to go try himself too. Please help me. Right? I feel like it's just one of those things where it's like an Excalibur situation where everybody has to try to pull the sword out of the stone. Everybody has to try and get the picture off the wall. And everybody fails. So the minister just has to be like, well, it's not there. It's little. It's dirty. It's in the corner. I'm just going to pretend it's not there. But occasionally out of the corner of his eye, he'll see it stretch or yawn or even just walk out of the frame. This fascinates me. The magical portraits in the PM's office and the magical portrait of Sirius's mom. Like you can't cut the drywall out and pull it off of the wall like it is literally like magically infused to the building. I wonder if you could 
cut around the wall and keep it on the wall, but take that part of the wall down. That's what I've been thinking for a very long time. But I think that if that was possible, that Sirius definitely would have done that. Maybe. Because he hated that portrait of his mom. I always kind of wonder if you could paint over them. Replace my tattoo, please. Right? Essentially. So like I said, this part becomes all about all of the times Fudge has visited previously. So now he's remembering to an instance that was three years prior to current day. Similar kind of night. He was alone in his office. Here's the cough from the painting. It announces the arrival of Fudge. He bursts out of the fireplace, but this time he is soaking wet and just ranting about a prison that the muggle minister has never heard of. Some man called Sirius Black, and it literally spells it like the word serious, like seriously, because that would all be what he hears. Yeah, he doesn't know. And then something that sounded like Hogwarts, which he heard correctly, but that's another weird one to process. My friend Sonny, they said that it was like pig pimple or something. Like, Yeah, like you're thinking about hogs and their warts. Like, yeah. What? And then Fudge also mentions a boy called Harry Potter. So now we are several pages into this book before they finally mention the titular character. He then explains that he'd just come from Azkaban, the ban, that it's in the middle of the North Sea. He says the middle of the North Sea, you know, like he's supposed to know this. You're giving him no information and you're like, duh, it's duh. in the North Sea. Right? That's why I'm soaking wet. It was quite the journey. He mentions, again, no indication of what this means, that the Dementors are in an uproar because they've never had a breakout before. But he had to come talk to him about what was going on because Black is a known muggle killer and might be planning to rejoin you-know-who, which he then follows up with, of course, you don't know who you-know-who is. Give the dude a break. Come on, Corny. So now he kind of explains all of this. He actually spends an hour explaining who you-know-who is. He does request that he sit down and offer him whiskey, which is hilarious because initially the muggle minister is just like, I really don't like being told to sit down in my own office and be offered my own whiskey. But then Fudge actually conjures whiskey from nowhere. It could have been his whiskey still, and he just didn't bother to like physically pour it. But he conjures the whiskey. And then spends that hour refusing to say Voldemort, but he does write it down for him and gets through the basic backstory of who you know who is. So now when he says you know who, he knows who. Fudge is such a putz, though. Just say Voldemort. Like, it's not that hard. I really don't understand the not saying Voldemort thing. I think it's stupid. I think it was more meant to be kind of comical. I hope so, because it really pisses me off. I'm like, <laughs> just say it. Like, it's not that, like, even really smart people, like McGonagall sometimes won't say it. And I'm like, ma'am. I think it kind of becomes that habit that you fall into. Who knows what started it? It could have been very similar to the second time around where they actually did stop using his name because it was tabooed. Maybe the first time around they stopped using his name because they didn't want people to overhear him talking about him. They didn't know who the followers were, who they could trust. I guess that's fair. But Hagrid does also say that people stopped saying it because they were scared. Yeah. So 
he doesn't elaborate on what that means. Yeah. Like, you think people are just scared because Voldemort's scary. Which, I mean, he is. He is, but also, you're the minister for magic. Say his name. Yeah. Say his name. Say his name. We don't really love you. <laughs> so, after all of this explanation, the muggle minister's like, but he's not dead? And Fudge tells him that Dumbledore thinks he's still alive. So maybe, but really he's not dangerous if he doesn't have supporters. So it's black that they have to focus on. Like we need to stop him from getting back to Voldemort, back to you know who, because it's fudge talking. And one of the reasons why he specifically came to him was so that he could put a warning on the muggle news since he is thought to be at this point a muggle murderer. And then he goes on to say, hopefully we won't have to see each other again and just bolts. Deuces. And then, less than a year later, he's back. This time it's less concerning in a safety, no, well, it's less concerning from Fudge's perspective. Let's go with that. I feel I, like it's definitely more concerning. <laughs> Because this time he brings up something called Quidditch. Quidditch. Yeah, spelled with a KW. And they do specifically mention that at least that's what it sounded like. Also, the World Cup is brought up. And that there was some kind of issue that muggles were involved in. But it is not anything to worry about because it was an isolated situation. And the muggle liaison office was dealing with it by modifying memories. So the World Cup, I wonder if this prime minister's like, soccer? What? Quidditch, apparently. Well, yeah, but he says specifically Quidditch, and then he says, and a World Cup. Yeah. And I'm like, is this dude over here thinking there's something going on at the soccer World Cup? Maybe. I don't know. Again, not a ton of information. He starts to leave, but then stops and is like, oh, yeah, by the way. We're also bringing three dragons and a sphinx into the country for the Triwizard Tournament. Of course, it ended up being four dragons for the Quad Quad Wizard Wizard Tournament. Tournament. But that the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures says that he has to notify the Muggle Prime Minister if they're bringing dangerous creatures into the country. And then the Muggle Prime Minister is just like... (laughs) Dragons? What? Dragons? So yes, definitely more concerning from his perspective. But Fudge is just like, yeah, dragons and a sphinx. Like, this is nothing. This is totally normal. I feel like the wizarding minister should have, like, a muggle liaison person with him. Because he does not know how to talk to this guy. Not even a little bit. And yes, I think that's a really good suggestion. I only kind of wonder if maybe he doesn't so it doesn't feel like he's ganging up on him. Like it's the respect of minister talking to minister. But if he starts bringing other people along, then maybe the muggle minister would be like, I want support here. It could be intimidating that way. I suppose. But he could have like a squib in his office. That would be good. So oh, yeah. Grew up in like a wizarding family and he can be like, I can explain this to you a little better. But we know that Hermione, as minister, does not need a muggle liaison person with No, she can handle that so much better than Fudge ever could. Ever. A shoe could handle that better than Fudge could. (laughs) So then two years later, not even, 
Fudge shows up again, and this time it's to be like, there was a mass breakout from the band, but there's nothing to worry about. We'll catch them all in no time. Deuces. Literally it. Just send an email, my guy. Right? Well, I don't think he can do that, but send an owl. Just send an owl mail, (laughs) ma'am. Owl mail. An (laughs) o-mail. So at this point, the muggle minister has been reflecting on all of his past visits with Fudge and kind of thinks to himself that it doesn't really matter what my opposition, potentially Tony Blair, is saying about me publicly. I'm not an idiot. And I know without a doubt that these visits from Fudge, whereas he initially had said we'll probably never have to see each other again, have been becoming more frequent. And he's more and more flustered every single time And he's having more and more grave news every single time. It's just getting worse. So this visit, this visit can't be good. And he says he doesn't know why the other minister, which is the chapter title. Ding, ding, ding. So he calls him the other minister in his head. And he doesn't know why he's there yet. But he knows that it's going to be basically the worst thing that has happened to him this week, which has been a week of really bad things. So his perception of the minister for magic, Cornelius Fudge, is not a positive one. Because there's no time that he has come in to be like, here's something good that's happening in the wizarding world that helps out the muggle world. No, no, that's definitely not a thing. But this is where we decided to cut the book chapter to keep it pretty evenly split among the first half and the second half. But none of that happens in the movie. Actually, the way that we decided to split the very short intro basically put the title screen in the slight recap from Order of the Phoenix. That's it. That was it. That was really it. Like I said, it's really nice that they remind us what happened in the last one because it's been two effing years in between. And not everybody is as obsessive as us where they definitely made it a point to watch the fifth one before going to see the sixth one. Although I am willing to bet that the majority of our keepers are or else they wouldn't be listening to our podcast. One would think. Yeah. They show us that Harry's in the ministry. There's lots of photos being taken, him standing with Dumbledore, and they have the recap show the chosen one and you think huh Uh, what's that about intrigue we do hear hbc yelling i killed sirius black and i'm gonna say this with all the muster i can muster all the mustard i can muster what i hate the character but i have giant respect for hbc for being able to play this role so well that i dislike the character so much yeah She is awful. She is wonderful. You can decide which she goes to which. (laughs) Which one are you talking about? She, Bellatrix, is awful. She, HBC, is amazing. I think my favorite thing that came out of the reunion was everybody saying that they had a crush on Emma Watson, and then it got to Tom, and he was like, oh, yeah, I had a crush on HBC. Well, both Tom and Daniel said that. Yeah, Tom and Daniel both said it, and I thought that was so funny. I mean, I get it. But she is a wonderful actress. But then we have this sad moment for Harry as we remember the hard life with no more God Daddy. May he rest in peace. Yeah. It definitely revisited that with her little 
audio clip there. And just the look on Harry's face when he's getting his picture taken, he looks devastated. He's a broken little sad boy at this point. And then you've got like Dumbledore putting his arm around him and grabbing him by the shoulder and just leading him away. And it's really effective. Like we mentioned in the summary, they take the sound out and just have that music playing that's definitely in a minor chord so it's more somber and a little unsettling but you don't hear any of the questions the reporters are asking you just see that harry is getting bombarded and is just overwhelmed you hear the camera flashes yeah and, and you see the flashes for sure which made for a really nice transition back into the stormy sky i thought it was very nice, but we don't get a glimpse of the Muggle Prime Minister, which is so disappointing because we don't even get that little glimpse into the Muggle world at all in this movie, really. I think it would have been nice, the information that they were putting across with this little flashy flash scene, they could have had it be a conversation between Cornelius Fudge and the Muggle Prime Minister. All the stuff that they show happens in the conversation. They right. talk about Sirius dying and that he wasn't actually a member of the Death Eaters and stuff like that. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that next week. But it is really disappointing that we didn't get any kind of glimpse of how this is affecting the muggle world now, too. Personally, I would have loved to see Hugh Grant playing the Prime Minister like he did in Love Actually and then <laughs> reconnect with his Love Actually castmates. One of his few, like, charming character roles as opposed to his sleazy ones that he loves to play. I love him in a good charming role, like in music and lyrics. I love him in music and lyrics. I love that movie. He is definitely good at charming, but he is also definitely good at slimy. I'm pretty sure he was also a consideration for Gilderoy Lockhart. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. And he would have been great at that. Please cast him in the show. <laughs> He might be too old at this point. He is too old, but still very pretty. Yeah, aging well. So since they leave out this conversation between the ministers, I feel like we're missing so many major plot points. Yeah, especially since there's a lot more that happens between Fudge and the Muggle Prime Minister that we'll talk about next week. It would have been nice to have that moment with Hugh Grant, personally, is what I think should have happened. <laughs> I like it. But we didn't get that. We're not going to get that next week. It's We're fine. It gives us stuff to talk about. I mean, we don't get that in the movie next week. But we well, we'll get to book. talk about it in the book for sure. Yeah. So we'll talk about all of the more details there. This is also where we cut off the movie section because it literally was Warner Brothers recap. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Stormy Sky. End scene. End scene. Which means we can go right into our Potter ponderings. And I personally think since you had such a fascination with the ministers that could potentially have been involved when she was writing this, I think we should focus on that. I may or may not be an Anglophile, but it's fine. So what are your thoughts on whether or not the author was referring to the real prime minister or just making one up and keeping it vague for the sake of the story? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to seeing, reading, and hearing them. We don't have a Sorting Hat story this week, but as promised, we're going to talk about our Harry Potter fundraiser again. 
So just some basic information, which like we said, you can find it on our social media as well, is that we are going to be charging $7, the magical Harry Potter number, for entry. Woohoo! This is, in fact, a donation. What we make, the proceeds are going to Camp Lilac. If you want to join the costume contest, it's a $5 donation. And if you want to join a trivia team, which can have up to seven people on it, that is an additional $5. If you want to pay for it all at once, it is 15 even, which is technically an odd number, but 15 flat. <laughs> so we will be accepting Venmo, PayPal, or you can pay in cash at the door. And we'll have a whole system set up through email so you can let us know what you want to pay for if you're paying over Venmo. We have all of that information up on our socials. So you can find it there and figure it out and send us messages or emails. And we will get you sorted out to come to this awesome event because it is going to be freaking magical. Good times all around. If you do want to send in a sorting hat story, you can send it to us through social media or email it to foxsakepod at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. This week's trivia question is, which department handles the cover-up of the not-hurricane in the West Country? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag hardly a hurricane will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Note that we did change our email to make it simpler, though we linked the account so we will still receive any emails sent to the old one. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at FoxSakePod. Following us on Podbean at FoxSakePod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. With this book, we are making adjustments to our patron program. You can find us on Patreon at Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And before we sign off, we also just wanted to take a moment to thank our amazing patron, Max Nash, because he composed the new intro song that you heard and the outro song that you're about to hear. Our very talented Brit. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Thank you so much, Max. We love it. It's very Stranger Things meets Harry Potter, and we all love a good nostalgia kick. Oh, yeah. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 1 the other minister, and the barely corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are... For, for Fox, Fox Sake. sake.